The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. I sometimes see the vegan lifestyle as a great big delicious pie. You want to cut yourself a great big chunk of animal rights and a really big chunk of healthy living and oh my gosh, a great big slice of saving this planet. But you know what? there's still some pie left. You can have a slice of fabulous cuisine or one of vegan business, vegan fashion, vegan beauty, pregnancy, raising vegan kids and dating before the pregnancy and raising vegan kids, travel, retirement, food policy, spirituality. Veganism touches on so many aspects of living today. And this program, well, We like to look at all of them. I'm your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome to the program. Today, we're going to be looking at a couple of areas. We're going to start out with a health topic, and then after the break, we'll be speaking with Dr. Melanie Joy. Yes, you know Dr. Joy, founder of the term Carnism, about her new book, Beyond Beliefs. How do we communicate with one another, with fellow vegans, with our family members, people who are not vegan, and with people out in the world who just don't have any interest in this at all. Well, we're going to be much smarter about that at the end of the hour than we are now. And something else that we're going to be learning about is starting right up, and that is something called a low histamine diet. Have you heard of that? I know we've all heard of antihistamines, those things that you can take when you think you're having allergies and they help your allergies and usually make you fall asleep. But there is a dietary connection and something that's very important to me and the whole Main Street Vegan philosophy is that we look at everything. You know, there are some people who will say, well, eat a whole foods, plant-based diet and all will be well. And so often it is. And that is magnificent and fabulous. But as someone who has done a lot of coaching with individuals over the years and just living my own life for a lot of years, I know that sometimes it's not that simple. And sometimes there's a tweak or something else we can learn about to really, really um, up the health ante and feel a whole lot better in our vegan lives for our whole lives. So helping us with that today is Randy Tisdall. She is the creator of Beautifully Bohemian 
Bohemian, a.k.a. Bohemian Vegan Kitchen, and she's the author of the newly released cookbook, Low Histamine Vegan, Total Reset. With almost a decade of experience as a plant-based person, Randy is here to discuss the new wave of vegans who are going low histamine, and if you could benefit from a temporary switch. Welcome, Randy. Aw, thank you so much for having me. Well, it's wonderful to meet you, and it was wonderful to find you, because about a year ago, I was looking into this, and I found lots of people with lots to say. Nobody was vegan, and it was wonderful to discover your BeautifullyBohemian.com site and and find you on Twitter at BohemianRandy, and that's R-A-N-D-I, and uh, Instagram, Bohemian.Vegan.Kitchen, because I felt like I could then safely explore something that was new to me. So tell us first about your vegan journey, and then we'll get into this newer thing that we're not so sure of. Thank you. Well, um, first off, I guess just as far as being vegan, um, I really never planned on being vegan, um, as most of us don't. Um, sometimes you're raised that way. Nowadays, my kids are. But um, years ago, I was raised on fast food and pretty much the standard American diet. And um, I guess it was around 2007 that I started doing some reading and just kind of found out about organics and, um, you know, our food system and what actually is going on with these foods that we find on the shelves and we think, you know, we're putting these things into our bodies and that they're fine. But um, pretty soon after discovering just the difference between organic food and non-organic food, it was only a couple years later that I started, you know, reading about the treatment of animals and, you know, what happens with that process. And it wasn't very long before I decided that I just couldn't support that anymore. And so I look back at that now and I think, you know, at, at first, I thought it was so hard to go vegan, and now I think that that was actually easy. But, um, but yeah, that's kind of just where I came from. Well, congratulations. And, and I know some people read what we read and see what we saw, and, and they haven't done it just yet. But it is wonderful to talk with somebody who, who makes the connection. So then what about low histamine? First, tell us what it is, and then you can tell us how you found out about it. Okay, well, doing um, doing low histamines, I mean, anybody that looks up histamines, you know, it's basically, you know, your chemicals are produced uh, during an allergic re- response. Um, and so, you know, when you're when an allergy triggers the immune system, you know, histamines are released into the body um, and histamine can also be absorbed from um, histamine com- containing foods. And so that's kind of where uh, low histamine comes into play. Is that if your, um, you know, if your system's out of whack, uh, absorbing um, foods that are high histamine might, you know, trigger these allergic responses, and you're not even sure what is going on. If that makes sense. <laughs> well, yeah, it does because I have read a, a lot about this, and the understanding that that I get is that it, now this is not completely accepted in the medical community at this time, but it is accepted by some medical doctors, and it's certainly more accepted, I would say, in the UK and in Europe um, than it is in the US. But that these histamine responses aren't necessarily itchy eyes, runny nose that there can be all sorts of other really bizarre kind, kinds of symptoms. I mean, joint pains and ringing in the ears and all kinds of things yes. that we don't think of as histamine. And some people have found release on this um, lower histamine diet. So if somebody wanted to kind of experiment with that, what would you tell them? Um, well, I normally what people do when they decide that they want to try to experiment with a low histamine diet is the first thing they do is they go online, they look at a list. And that's kind of where we find these conflicts, like what you were talking about earlier about how you go online and there's a lot of information, but, you know, a lot of it isn't about being vegan, um, but a lot of it is very conflicting and people can get upset very quickly with that. But what I ask people to do is to just go and kind of compare lists and see, you know, if, as, as far as vegan goes, you know, what are some things that are already vegan that are on a low histamine list that I can work into my diet today? And then just kind of take it from there and see, um, you know, because I did, I did a solid low histamine diet for about six months. And in that time, I was able to see, you know, what 
my body was reacting to negatively and what it was responding to positively. And I think you've even mentioned it's just about a little more of this, a little less of that. And so I think it's just it's just starting is really um, the hard thing. And then after that, you know, it's just finding what works for you. Well, I think that's very wise. And it's one of these things that if you just look at a list of foods and it says don't eat and you see lots of really great fruits and vegetables. I mean, just off the top of my head, I I know raspberries are on some of the lists and some of these other things that you're thinking, spinach. It's like, oh my God, these are some of the healthiest foods out there. And as a vegan, it's a little bit difficult. You know, you kind of throw your hands up. Right. Well, I think it's just goes to, it's kind of like when you first go vegan, you know, some people will look at like a vegan list and they'll say, well, what am I going to eat? Because everything has animal products in it, but you're coming at it from um, where you were able to consume animal products on the daily. And so if you're um, vegan looking at a low histamine list, you might have the same initial response to that. But then soon you'll find that, yeah, you can't have spinach, you know, (laughs) and I say can't loosely, you know, but eventually, um, you know, you, but you can have watercress, you can have romaine, you can have, you know, all these different types of lettuces. So it might seem limiting at first, but it's kind of an illusion. Well, I have read that the the way you can really know if you want to be looking at, at a low histamine diet or not is if you get the classic red wine headache. And I think a lot of my friends think that I don't drink for some kind of religious reason or something. When it's not that, it's that I feel terrible <laughs> when I drink red yes, wine. Yes. First of all, um, uh, difficulty regulating body temperature is one of the things that comes up. Uh, cold hands and feet, um, uh, itchy scalp. And some of these things just seem so random. And yet, when you're on a very good, healthy diet and, and no physician and nobody is helping you figure out what's wrong, I think this is definitely something to look at. I mean, I'm a layperson and, and you are too, so we're certainly not prescribing. But it is a, a very interesting concept. So when People do this. Is this forever? Is this like never another raspberry? <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's, that is definitely everybody's fear. I hear from a lot of people um, with this problem. And some people are, you know, already vegan and they think like, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to be able to eat my favorite things again. And then other people, you know, aren't vegan and they're just thinking that they need to go all the way and just get rid of, you know, all of the things that are going on in their body. But I, as far as it being forever... Um, I don't think that it has to be forever. Personally, um, you know, a lot of people look at this as black and white, right or wrong. And I think it just is, you know, what, let's find what works for you. You know, even if it's like, you know, hardcore for, um, like I said, like six months or something, um, eventually you can start working those foods back in and you can see like, am I really having an issue with this? Because just because it's on a list doesn't mean that, you know, it's completely off limits to you forever. Um, you know, and I can use myself as, as an example, because when I first started this, you know, I was feeling, you know, kind of like some of the things that you were saying too, even about the, um, the wine headache, you know, I always got headaches from wine and I didn't understand why. And I would always have cold hands and feet, all those things. But I was also feeling really sick when I first started, um, doing this low histamine diet. And I, I didn't know why I was feeling this way because I was like, well, I'm already vegan. I thought I was eating great. But, you know, when I first started, you know, things like tomatoes, that was one thing that um, that I know that I didn't realize at the time until I started weeding things out that cooked tomatoes was really making my system feel like crap, really. But now, you know, after stepping away from it for so long, you know, sometimes I can go out and I can have a pizza and I'll be fine or I can have, you know, tomatoes in my salad and I'll be OK. But it's just knowing that, you know, I can't you know, do that every day. I don't want to get back to where I was. So it's all about balance and just just finding how your own body works and listening to what your body is telling you. Right. And for people who have never looked at one of these lists and might be curious about what's on it, it it seems to me that it's the fermented foods, um, the alcoholic beverages, the the bruised parts of, of apples, bananas, pears, fermented cheeses, and that includes vegan cheeses, yogurt, sauerkraut, Mm -hmm. 
tempeh miso, and not that these are not great foods, they are, but for some people they can be problematic. Certainly yeast breads, even mushrooms. We know mushrooms are one of Dr. Furman's (laughs) G-bombs, and they're cancer preventive and all that. But possibly something to look at if if, uh, you're feeling that you might be histamine sensitive. So tell us about your cookbook. Okay. (laughs) Well, um, you know, I really wanted to create some kind of book for people as a reference guide because when I first started, I mean, you know, you go online and if you if you go online and you type in low histamine vegan recipes, you're going to probably cry because there is not there's nothing available really. Um, I know when I first started, I had to really just start substituting. I had to take recipes and figure out, okay, well, this ingredient is high histamine, so I'm going to leave it out, or I'm going to trade this for this. And um, it was really a process. I mean, the first time I sat down and made a low histamine vegan list before I went to the to the store, I mean, I cried. I had like a complete fit and meltdown because I was like, what am I going to eat? What am I going to feed my kids? What I mean, how is this going to work? So, you know, after hearing from people, I've, I've been hearing from people pretty much for the past year about this issue because I wrote a blog post about it. And since then... I've just heard so many different people with some people have worse symptoms than I did. And I really feel for them. Um, And so when it came to this cookbook, I really wanted to be able to create something that somebody that is interested in trying this or maybe, you know, it's they just want to do a detox. Maybe they just want to clear some things out. And I wanted to have something that was you know, 100%, you know, low histamine, according to what I know about low histamine diets at this, as, at this point, um, something that was completely gluten-free, um, you know, yeah, low histamine, uh, you know, completely nightshade-free, um, completely soy-free, and not have a heart attack. Like, I wanted all of all of those things to happen and, and have, like, a, a guide that they could take in their kitchen and just be able to eat something and not have to worry about substituting anything. So I'm very excited about it. <laughs> no, that, that is exciting. And where do we get Low Histamine Vegan Total Reset? Um, it's on my website um, at beautifullybohemian.com. And, um, and, yeah, it's 26 awesome recipes. And I tried to include, um, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner um, because I know that, you know, we we definitely need all of these different types of recipes, and I wanted people to be able to take this and not just be like, okay, these are dinners, but what do I do about breakfast, or what do I do about a snack, or what do I do about lunch? And so I really tried to make like a full meal plan for people. Well, that's and, uh, such a great resource, because when I was looking into this, I, I got a notebook at Barnes & Noble and tried to create and cull (laughs) vegan recipes that were also low histamine. But when I was looking at those big, long lists, I mean, it was challenging. And and they're actually, for anybody who's new to this and thinking, what the heck? So by all means, uh, get get Randy's book, Low Histamine Vegan. And also on the Main Street Vegan blog, the blog at MainStreetVegan.net, September 5th, 2017, I did a pretty extensive post called The Histamine Connection. So you can check that out too and just see what you think. And, you know, one of the things I love that they say in the 12th step programs is take what you like and leave the rest um i've taken some of this and i I believe that it uh, helps me so just in closing here randy what is your favorite recipe in your cookbook oh my favorite recipe um that would have to be oh gosh a tie between the pizza because yes i wanted to make sure that there was pizza available because on a regular pizza um, some people will have issues with the with the dough or the tomatoes or the cheese. So I have a low histamine pizza. Um, and then also that would have to be a tie between that and um, my apple crisp because that mm. one can be a yummy breakfast um, or dessert. Love it. Love it. And for more information, do um, check out Randy's blog and website, beautifullybohemian.com. Thank you so much for spending this time with us today, Randy. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. Oh, it's a pleasure. (laughs) And everybody, we're going to be so excited because you've been waiting for Melanie Joy for a couple of years, I think. Well, she's here today. Stay with us. 
As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach to the world, we count on the support of listeners like you. Please make your donation today. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Did you know you can reach Unity's 24-7 prayer ministry online? You don't even have to give your name to know the prayers have begun for you or those you love. Someone has been praying around the clock at Silent Unity since 1890, and every request is taken into prayer for 30 days. Why not let us pray with you, too? To submit your prayer request to Silent Unity online, go to unity.org and click on prayer, or call 1-800-NOW-PRAY. truly understand the laws of the universe and live a life based on these profound and unwavering truths, then your dream life starts today. No more waiting. No more wandering. If you're ready to let go of the striving and move into the allowing, you are ready for everyday attraction on Unity Online Radio. We study the teaching of Abraham given to us by beautiful Esther Hicks so we can release confusion for clarity, exchange struggle for serenity, and have the time of our lives today. Join host Ray Zander every Friday at noon Central Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Unity Online Radio for Everyday Attraction, where the law of attraction gets real. Be sure to grab the latest issue of Unity Magazine and read the interview with Ram Das, the iconic spiritual leader of the 60s. He's now focused on how to age consciously. Spiritual author Thomas Moore reflects on grumpy old men and women. And Barbara Bowen writes a touching story about her experience as a caregiver to her mother with dementia. To subscribe to Unity Magazine, go to unity.org and click on Publications. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. So happy to have you, as we always are. If you are new to the program, we're live. You may not know that because you're probably listening to the podcast, but we are an actual live radio show every Wednesday afternoon here in the East Coast of the USA. It happens to be 3 to 3.55 on Wednesday afternoons. If you ever want to listen live at unity.fm and then you can call in with questions, 816-347-5519. If you're not familiar with my work, I'm the author of Main Street Vegan and a co-author of the Main Street Vegan Academy cookbook and about a dozen other books out there in the world. There's lots of information at MainStreetVegan.net. We do a weekly blog this week. It's from Main Street Vegan Academy graduate Melanie Ballou out there in British Columbia about vegan pregnancy. That's a topic of interest to a lot of people. So do have a look. Yes, 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 I'm going to introduce Melanie Joy. (laughs) There was so much excitement online, Dr. Joy, when people heard that you were going to be back on today. (laughs) Dr. Melanie Joy is a psychologist, international speaker, organizational consultant, and relationship coach. She is author of the award-winning book, Why We Love Dogs, Eat Pigs, and Wear Cows, and her new book, Beyond Beliefs, a guide to improving relationships and communication for vegans, vegetarians, and meat eaters. Dr. Joy's TEDx talk on carnism is in the top 1% of the most viewed TED talks of all time. She is the eighth recipient of the Ahimsa Award, previously given to the Dalai Lama and Nelson Mandela. Let us welcome an angel of Ahimsa, Dr. Melanie Joy. Hey. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much. It's so good to hear your voice. It's wonderful to hear you. So are you in Germany? Is that where you are at this moment? 
I am. I'm in Berlin. I've been living here for the past four years. So I get back to the States a couple of times a year, but um, this is where I'm residing at the moment. And we have heard that it is one of the best vegan cities on the planet. Give us a rundown. It's uh, it's really vegan friendly. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing here. Everybody knows the word vegan, um, and I mean, even if you go to little like uh, markets um, with like you know Turkish stalls, the people working there know vegan, and they really know what it means. Um, you know, all of the main super, all of the supermarkets, even the tiny ones, have vegan selections, and sometimes a whole vegan freezer. So yeah, it's pretty cool to see what's happening. I think there's over like. 50 vegan restaurants or something um more than that actually now just just in berlin wow and do they use the word vegan or is there a german word for vegan vegan oh, so, <laughs> i can say it <laughs> well you say it very well so i i'm holding a copy of beyond beliefs and it is wonderful because i think that we have really reached a place as our movement has grown that communication has never been so important. And this is your area of expertise. You're a Harvard trained psychologist. So tell us about this book. Why this one right now? Yeah, well, I I wrote Beyond Beliefs, um, you know, after I had been traveling pretty extensively, giving my carnism presentation and training vegan advocates through um, our Center for Effective Vegan Advocacy, SIVA, uh, over a number of years. And, you know, everywhere I went at this point, it's been like 40 countries um, that I've been to. And I've just spoken with thousands of vegans um, and also vegetarians who have a remarkably similar experience. Um, everywhere I went, I was hearing the same story, this common theme that so many vegans and vegetarians felt like becoming vegan, um, was one of the most empowering, important decisions of their lives. And, you know, and then (laughs) their inspiration and excitement would quickly turn to shock and horror as they learned that the people around them, often the people that they're closest to, um, often reacted very badly. Um, to this decision, you know, they would find so many vegans would find that their relationships and, and communications were just breaking down. And, you know, I, I realized that this relationship and communication breakdown, which I know is not inevitable as a relationship coach, but it is happening and it's understandable, is really siphoning off a tremendous amount of energy from the vegan movement. I mean, we, we know research tells us that people who have fulfilling connected relationships fare better in every aspect of life. And you can can just imagine the impact of the lack of those relationships and, and, and even the, um, you know, the presence of disrupted relationships on vegan advocates and therefore on the movement as a whole. So where is it worse? Is it in our interactions with non-vegans or is it within the movement? Is it all kinds of squabbles and what do you eat and I eat better and I have <laughs> better view of animal rights than you, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, um, relationship and communication breakdown is present, you know, it's between vegans um, and also between vegans and non-vegans, just sometimes for different reasons. But, you know, people, one of the reasons that we have the problems that we have is simply because none of us ever, you know, we gets a single lesson on how to have a healthy relationship and how to communicate effectively, even though um, most of us have had to learn complicated geometry that we'll probably never use in our lives. So a lot of the problems that we're seeing um, among vegans with relationship and communication breakdown, or at least problems, are problems that happen to people in general, like people struggle in relationships and people struggle with communication. It's just when you throw this extra element on top, which is either ideological difference you know, the differences between, you know, a vegan and non-vegan philosophy and lifestyle um, or, um, you know, just the, the pressure and the stress and the, you know, traumatization that sometimes vegans experience. Um, when you throw this into the mix, uh, it makes the whole dynamic that much more complicated. And you talk about, you have a term, you're, you're great at creating terms. Now for, let's, let's go back to carnism, just for anybody that doesn't know, because that is a word that is coming into use 
in in the vernacular, so, and that's a word that you invented. So tell us first what carnism is. Yeah, so carnism is um, the invisible belief system or ideology that conditions people to eat certain animals. It's essentially the opposite of veganism. Um, so, you know, we tend to assume that only vegans and vegetarians follow a belief system, but the only reason that um, many of us learn to eat pigs but not dogs, for example, is because we do follow a belief system when it comes to eating animals. So, um, but what's interesting interesting about carnism, or I should say important to know about carnism, is that it's a special kind of belief system or ideology. It's dominant, and that means it's invisible, and it shapes norms, laws, beliefs, behaviors, etc., and it becomes internalized. Um, it shapes the very way we think and feel about eating animals when we're born into this dominant carnistic culture. Um, and carnism is also a violent system. It's literally organized around violence. And because most people would never willingly support intensive, extensive violence and completely unnecessary violence toward um, other animals, um, what carnism needs to do is to use this set of psychological defense mechanisms that distort people's perceptions of meat, eggs, dairy, and farmed animals and numb their feelings, block their natural empathy for farmed animals so that they eat animals. They act against their core moral values of compassion and justice without even realizing what they're doing. Um, and carnism is one of the main reasons that these problems between vegans and non-vegans begin to arise. Well, I was going to ask you that next. So how does it impact our relationships when we're talking with the letter carrier? What happens? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so... It- Carnism, in, in my book, and Beyond Beliefs, I talk about carnism as like the third wheel in our relationship, like a, an intruder in our relationship. And by the way, when I'm saying relationship, I'm referring to all kinds of relationships, friendships, you know, collegial relationships and intimate relationships as well. So um, when we're in a relationship with a, a non-vegan and we're vegan, we're essentially in a relationship with the non-vegan. It's a relationship of three. It's vegan, non-vegan, and carnism, the third party in the relationship that nobody sees but that's ever present. Um, so because carnism distorts the non-vegan's perceptions and feelings, um, it creates this disrupted, very problematic dynamic often between the non-vegan and the vegan. So non-vegans internalize these carnistic defense mechanisms that I was talking about earlier. Um, these defense mechanisms are designed to prevent non-vegans from really seeing meat, eggs, and dairy for what they are, from becoming aware of the atrocity that is carnism. And they do this in various ways. But one of the ways these defenses operate is by distorting non-vegans' perceptions of vegans. So like a lot of vegans listening right now probably can relate to the experience of, you know, having somebody just hear that they're vegan or learn that they're vegan and suddenly get defensive. You know, the person might start, you know, rattling off a whole list of reasons as to why veganism is wrong or making, you know, inappropriate hostile jokes about vegans or or whatever. Um, and so this really can create a disruptive dynamic between the vegan and the non-vegan. And you have another phrase, Melanie, relational immune system. You're saying right. we need a strong one. What is that? Right. So, so in my book, I compare, like I, I talk about first and foremost, what is a healthy relationship? And a lot of the principles in my book are actually the principles for all kinds of relationships and, and, and forms of communication, you know, whether veganism is present or not. Um, and so I compare um, relationships, relationship health with like physical health. So, um, a healthy relationship essentially is like a healthy body. It thrives when its immune system is stronger than the germ that challenges it. So when we think of like our relational immune system and keeping that strong, what we need to do is we need to keep it secure and connected. These are the two elements that I describe in my book that create a strong immune, uh, relational immune system. And 
you know, these elements exist on a spectrum. You know, it's not like your relationship is either strong and connect or secure. I'm sorry, secure and connected or insecure and disconnected, but rather it's more or less secure and connected. So a strong relational immune system is more secure and connected. And the stronger your relational immune system is, the better it's able to withstand and bounce back from stress, you know, the stressors that impact the relationship. And there are all sorts of stressors that impact the relationship. And in my book, I talk about two of the unique ones um, or two of the stressors that are unique to relationships between vegans and non-vegans. And one of those is carnism. Um, and the other is the secondary traumatic stress that I, I briefly mentioned earlier. Well, let's get into that because I know that in your very first book, you talked about the post-traumatic stress being so instrumental, particularly with those of us who, who do find our way to animal rights, who do become vegans. But this um, PTSD that nobody is recognizing or talking about plays a role in how we relate to others. So please educate us. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and it's actually referred to as STSD, which is like PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, but it's secondary traumatic stress disorder. And the only difference is that STSD, or as it's sometimes referred to STS, it's not always a disorder, um, is uh, it impacts not the direct victims of violence, but the witnesses to violence. And so, you know, the vast majority of vegans have, have witnessed, have born witness to the atrocity that is carnism, to the horrors of what's happening to the animals in the world. And, you know, not only have we seen these graphic videos and materials, but, you know, every single day we have to live with being exposed to the aftermath of the violence. You know, these traumatic triggers um, are really ev everywhere. And they're the, the body parts of, of dismembered, slaughtered animals um, and their excretions. So, um, and this really can take a toll on us. And so when we don't recognize um, first and foremost that, Simply by being a witness to an atrocity, we put ourselves at risk for being traumatized. Um, we don't realize this. We, we won't take steps to protect ourselves, and we won't recognize some of the symptoms of secondary trauma when we do start to experience them. So, um, so the first step is to really be aware of what STS is. I have an entire chapter in my book dedicated just to secondary trauma, secondary traumatic stress, and specifically what that looks like um, in vegans and how that impacts our relationship with others and with other vegans, with non-vegans and with ourselves. Um, so, for example, you know, I'll just give you a, a few symptoms um, or explain a few symptoms. One of them is intrusive thoughts. Um, these are sort of akin to flashbacks, right? They're, they're thoughts that intrude in our minds suddenly um, of, you know, usually it's a graphic uh, imagery that we've been exposed to. Um, Another one is survivor guilt. Survivor guilt is the guilt that um, a person feels when they have survived a traumatic event when others have perished. So like, you know, survivors of, of shipwrecks, um, you know, accidents, uh, natural disasters um, often develop survivor guilt. And we can see among vegan activists, there is also um, a high rate of this. A lot of vegans feel guilty, uh, so guilty that they can't stop working, advocating, being on as activists all the time in their minds thinking, you know, I'm not an animal. I, I, I can't even, I, I'm not an, I am not a farmed animal suffering the way that they are. And I feel guilty simply by virtue of the fact that I'm not feeling bad. And so this lends itself to workaholism and, and, and a number of other of other problems. Um, but what happens um, that I talk about in my book when people have been somewhat traumatized or very traumatized is they can develop what I refer to as a trauma narrative. Um, the trauma narrative is a story in our minds that we start to believe in, whereby we start to see the world as like one giant traumatic event with only three roles to be played, victim, perpetrator, and hero, and no gray area in between. Um, and this can cause a lot of damage to our relationships with others and also with ourselves. We can hold ourselves up to very, very impossible standards because if we're not heroes all good all the time, then we're, you know, bad perpetrators. 
providers. Um, it also can impact our relationships, for example, with non-vegans when, you know, we, we tend to exaggerate the impact of people in these roles. So, you know, if we go home to our partner and they're eating meat, uh, you know, we might look at them and think like, you know, you, you're you the reason those poor pigs were going through what they went through in the video I just saw earlier today. And so it becomes very difficult, if not impossible, to feel connected to the people in our life um, who are not vegan uh, because we've put them in this role of perpetrator and automatically we start to disconnect from them. This is so fascinating. And you've helped me in, in one particular area. That, that has caused me some angst, and that is that very often when I speak, I do tell the story of a particular cow that I met on the day that I spent in a slaughterhouse, which is something I am sure I could not do now. I'm glad I did it then because now I, I've lost the ability to voluntarily be in the presence of that kind of suffering. But, you know, my younger self, I don't know, was maybe a better person. But I tell this story because I always think the most important person in the room is the omnivore or the 50 omnivores who might be swayed. But very often, vegans are are crying. Sometimes people have come up to me afterwards and said, how dare you tell that story? because I already am, am vegan, I shouldn't have to hear that. So what do we do with sharing our truth? And is this SDS something that can lessen or that people can get over? Yeah, it's such a great question. Um, certainly, um, you know, when we commit to our own, you know, self-care, our own recovery with secondary trauma, um, you know, many people find that they actually end up feeling better than they did before they developed the secondary trauma. You know, sometimes it's it's some, it's similar to what some people say when they go into recovery for addictions, that they feel better after they've gone through recovery than they did before they even developed the addiction in the first place, because trauma and addiction two sides of a coin, by the way, um, but that's another podcast. Um, <laughs> they, uh, they force us to do the hard work that's necessary for our own growth um, and our, our own depth, essentially, that we may not have been motivated to do before. Um, so, you know, the answer to your question is, um, you know, Yes, we absolutely can, um, you know, move into recovery from, from being traumatized and prevent ourselves from being further traumatized. We probably can't prevent, you know, the sadness that we feel. That's an authentic response to the atrocity that is carnism. Um, what we can do is we can commit to self-care. Self-care is the, um, in my opinion, the single most important thing, and in many people's opinions who work in the field of trauma, the single most important thing that we can do to help ourselves become more resilient. I talked about relational resilience or the relational immune system earlier. You know, resilience is the ability to withstand and bounce back from stress. And so in my book, I talk about building a resilient relationship, but also building a resilient self. Um, and so to build our own resilience, our own psycho-emotional immune system, we need to prioritize taking care of our needs. That's the the number one thing that we can do, give ourselves permission to pay attention to, honor and attend to our own needs. In terms of speaking our truth, um, you know, it's we also need to consistently be asking what our impact is going to be. Um, you know, I do believe that effective altruism, you know, which is a, a it's an, a, an approach to bringing about positive change in the world, you know, has some really important lessons for us. And, you know, what they focus on in this movement is, you know, really encouraging people to constantly be saying, what is the impact of this action? You know, why am I doing this? And what is the impact going to be? So, for example, if you know, you're telling the story of the cow, understandably, your motivation, you obviously are doing this because you want to bring about positive change. The question is, you know, are you, are, are you, uh, what is the impact of that? If there are three, you know, non-vegans in the room that might be open to veganism versus 30 vegans in the room that might be, you know, feeling despair and, um, you know, having a hard time getting motivated. So, 
it's important for us to tell our truth and it's important to tell our truth in a way that's as strategic as possible. And that's something that we can only know with putting a lot of thought into it. And sometimes only after the fact, like, you know, with your story, it's getting feedback, you know, that really helps us to understand what, what impact we may be having. This is so enlightening, Melanie. The first time that I ran into this was 1975. Um, the World uh, International Vegetarian Union Conference was happening in the States, and it was like one of those great Broadway stories. The woman who was supposed to do the cruelty-free fashion show didn't show up, and I got to go on and do this <laughs> show for 2,000 people. And one of the young women who came to model was, was just stunning and, and, and knew how to walk and all this. And I said, what, what is going on? I mean, she said, well, I used to model, but I don't anymore because the animals are suffering. And I said, well, what do you do now? And she said, I don't really do anything because the animals are suffering. <laughs> And, and if you can think about where veganism and animal rights were in 1975, you can understand why um, that would have been that this non-response would have been something um, right. very easy to fall into. But it's certainly still there. So what about allies? What about vegan allies that you talk about? Who are they? Why do we need them? Yeah, so I um, I write about vegan allies in my book, and um, I define a vegan ally as a person who is um, not fully vegan themselves, but who is a supporter of vegan values, um, you know, or vegan vegan ideology, and and um, and vegans uh, in the world. And I think that that vegans have um, very understandably, but um, mistakenly created this frame that, um, you know, either you're vegan and you're part of the solution or you're not vegan and you're part of the problem. And so what this does is it, it potentially alienates like 99% of the population who is not vegan yet. Um, and many people are not ready to go vegan right away for a variety of reasons. Um, and so what, but they may very well care about veganism and want to make a positive difference, want to make a contribution. And frankly, the animals need all the help they can get. So, you know, just from my personal experience, um, some of the people who have done the most for animals, who have actually spared the most animals, are not vegan. They're like journalists who write for major, you know, national publications and raise awareness of carnism and veganism around like hundreds, among hundreds of thousands and sometimes millions of people who might not otherwise have been reached. So, so when it comes to our relationships, especially those relationships where we want any degree of closeness, um, we really need to we and we have a right to ask that the other person become a vegan ally i mean we have to be allies to each other anyway we need to know that the people that we are close to have our back and are on our side and very often um vegans can find that the struggle they're having in a relationship a close relationship like a friendship or a family relationship um for example or even less close relationships um the struggle is not because of this ideological difference because the other person is not vegan it's because the other person is not a vegan ally and when that other person um really gets us as a vegan and really supports us and who we are that dynamic this problem problem problematic dynamic can change tremendously um and we you know many vegans suffer um the pain of feeling like they have to shrink themselves to fit into their relationships you know there's because of this carnistic defensiveness against veganism people become vegan and then find that they can't bring themselves fully into their relationships that they have to hide some of what they're most troubled by hurt by and proud of um and this is very painful and it's impossible to really be truly connected with somebody if you can't be yourself with them. And when we're in a relationship, I mean, we, we all have an obligation to understand the inner world of the other person. We, we have to be willing to do that if we want to be in that person's life. And so 
Vegans sometimes don't ask for this, number one, because they assume that the main problem is that the other person's not vegan, not that the other person's not being a vegan ally. And two, because this carnistic defensiveness makes it so hard to ask for anything related to veganism. So in my book, I have um, the appendices are I have a few appendices. They're like scripts. Um, that vegans could just like photocopy and give to people in their lives or they can rewrite them in their own words or whatever they want to do. But um, one of them is how to ask for a vegan ally and to just, you know, really say, I need you to understand veganism. I'm not trying to turn you vegan. I need you to understand veganism, not to change you, but so that you understand me and you get what the world looks like through my eyes. Yeah, these are these are wonderful. Honestly, listeners, the book is fabulous, but these scripts in the back and these letters are, are well worth the price of the book. Beyond Beliefs, A Guide to Improving Relationships and Communication for Vegans, Vegetarians, and Meat Eaters. So when you're talking about allies, Melanie, my sense is that there are some vegans who are not thrilled about what you're saying. What is their point of view and how do you respond to it? Um, I mean, it depends on why they're not thrilled about what I'm saying. Maybe I should clarify um, one, maybe two points I should clarify. One is that I did say that we all should be allies to each other. And in my book, I say that there are a couple of caveats to this. Um, We should not expect to be an ally to somebody when doing so would be a violation of our integrity or would cause us to feel unsafe. You know, so just for example, you know, if vegans, uh, you know, brother says, sure, I'll be a vegan ally and I'll understand what the world looks like through your eyes and I need you to be an ally to me as a hunter like that's not going to work I think what you might be referring to are vegans who believe that um, by asking for people to become vegan allies we water down our message um, and sell the animals short is that what you're referring to yes yeah, I mean, so the, just from what the animals need is um, they need to stop being killed. <laughs> um, they don't need us to be ideologically pure. They need us to be effective. And um, it's, you know, often when we go into a negotiation asking for all or nothing, as Henry Spira, the great activist, said, we end up with nothing. Um, many people are not ready or willing to become vegan immediately overnight um as much as we would like them to it's magical thinking to assume that they just will because we want them to or they will because we're phrasing our outreach or our advocacy in the right way people don't change until they're ready to change and most people transition slowly um you know there's what i recommend and you know number one a person can be a vegan ally um and do tremendous good for animals if you look at just the numbers i talked about the vegan journalist before a number of vegan journalists who you know in one journalist who writes uh, a powerful article about the issue could in fact spare more animals than a vegan does who simply doesn't eat animals for their entire life some of the people who donate to my organization which is um run entirely on charitable donations are not vegan but they want to help us do the outreach they're doing that we're doing um what i suggest so that we take the conversation out of the often problematic realm of reducitarianism versus veganism which i actually think is a false dichotomy um i suggest that when we are asking for people to move toward veganism or asking people to be vegan Um, which is part of being a vegan ally, often, not always, we ask people to be as vegan as possible, that that is how we frame our advocacy. Um, Doing this helps, you know, doing this makes it clear that veganism is the end goal. Um, And it also honors the other person as the expert on their own experience and Uh, on what is sustainable for them. So when we advocate being as vegan as possible, which is part of what being a vegan ally actually is, um, we are encouraging people to reflect on their choices at every meal. And frankly, if the world were as vegan as possible, um, if everyone in the world were as vegan as possible, we'd have a vegan world pretty quickly. Oh, we would indeed, from your mouth to God's ears on that one. So finally, just in our last a minute or two here, 
What do you hope that this beautiful book, beautifully written, beautiful book, everybody needs to read it, Beyond Beliefs, what's the goal? What's the hope for this one? Well, thank you, Victoria. Um, the goal is really uh, threefold, actually. Um, you know, for, for vegans, it's to help vegans to be more, to, to have more fulfilling and um, have more fulfilling lives and more connected relationships um, and, and to be better ambassadors, ultimately better ambassadors for the movement. Um, it's to help vegans more fully connect with and communicate with other vegans. And again, that would help empower the movement. Um, it is also a book that vegans can share with the non-vegans in their lives. I have, you know, I've written it so that if somebody is not vegan and they're reading a book, they won't hopefully feel offended or triggered. And I actually have some sections that are, you know, specifically for non-vegans to really understand what the world looks like through vegan eyes to, to hopefully open this message uh, or bring this message to, to more people. I, and I'm sure if anybody can do it, you will. Everybody loves you. I always say this to Colleen Patrick Goudreau, too. You know, some people, some people like, some people don't like, but you and and she, everybody, everybody loves you, which is a wonderful, wonderful way to live your life. Actually, I think you belong in that camp, Victoria. Oh, you're kind. Thank you so, so much. Gosh, this has been enlightening to me, and I hope it has been to all of you who are listening. Next week, oh, we're going to have so much fun. We are bringing on the Vegan Bros. So get ready for that one. And in the meantime, thanks so much, Dr. Melanie Joy. The book is Beyond Beliefs. Her website is carnism.org. Thanks to Randy Tisdall of Beautifully Bohemian. Her book is Low Histamine Vegan, Total Reset. And thanks to Unity Online Radio and our, our wonderful engineer, Jeff Comfort, who makes everything work. And most of all, thanks to you for listening. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Each of us has a unique purpose, a special gift to offer the world. Despite the differences in our talents and abilities, there is one gift that we all can share, the gift of peace. Peace isn't something that takes a particular talent. It's an ability we all possess. All we have to do is tap into it. Peace doesn't require a certain set of circumstances either, but rather a state of willingness. When I do whatever is mine to do from that place of peace within... I contribute to the peace of the world. James Dillett Freeman said, I give the gifts that are mine to give, as naturally as a tree gives shade or a bird's song. It is my nature to give. I give peace. Peace can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Does music open your heart and bring you peace and joy? Experience the sacredness of sound with Ramdesh Kaur as we travel the world of mantra, kundalini yoga, and devotional music. Join us for a journey into spirit 
Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern on Spirit Voyage Radio with Ram Desh. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, the Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find my God. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. <laughs> 